Broadcasting live from the North Fulton Business Radio X studio, it's time for To Your Health with Dr. Jim Morrow. To Your Health is brought to you by Morrow Family Medicine, an award-winning primary care practice, which brings the care back to health care. Oh, and welcome to another episode of To Your Health with Dr. Jim Morrow. I am Jim Morrow. I'm a family doctor and Cumming, Georgia. We have an office in Cumming and Milton. We are part of Village Medical, and we are very excited about that. It's coming up on a year now we've been part of Village Medical. And uh, if you don't know anything about Village Medical, you got to look them up because I think this nationwide family practice group is going to have a big impact on healthcare across the country. I'm excited to be part of them. Uh, I wanted to mention that it is time to vote for your favorite family practice in Forsyth County. Again, we're coming up on pretty soon on the best of Forsyth. And I would love it if people would think about us when they're thinking about who they like as far as family practice. And as I've told everybody all along for the last 10 years, if there's something we're not doing that you think we should or doing that we, you think we should not, I would ask you to send me an email. And my email is on my business card. If you don't have one, grab one. Send me an email. If you don't tell me about something that's not going the way it should be, I can't fix it. But if you do tell me, I will fix it. I've been doing most of these podcasts for the last year or so with a COVID update at the beginning. I'm not going to belabor that uh, today. We talked last time we did one of these about uh, my experience with COVID-19 and COVID pneumonia and so forth, and being out of work three weeks and so forth. So I'm just I'm going to say one more time to please consider getting a COVID vaccine if you've not had one. And if you have had one, please consider getting a booster whenever the time comes that you're in line for a booster. With Pfizer, it looks like it's going to be six months after your last. With Moderna, it looks like it's going to be eight months after your last. Don't get it early because what you're trying to do is to extend the total amount of time that you're immune to COVID-19 or protected from a bad episode or bad outcome from COVID-19. And so if you get it early, you're not going to have as long. So six months after Pfizer, eight months after Moderna, try to get a booster. They're not talking much about boosters after J&J. I'm not sure why that is, but they may in the future. So today, I want to spend a few minutes, and this is not going to be long, probably not the usual half hour even, talking about something that bothers an awful lot of people, uh, a huge number of people uh, in their everyday life, and that's irritable bowel syndrome. Uh, Irritable bowel syndrome, or IBS as it's called, is basically a real pain in the ass. It's probably the best way I can describe it. It's just a miserable thing to have. It's just aggravating. Nobody ever died from IBS. Nobody ever had a god-awful outcome health-wise from IBS. But it's the kind of thing that can absolutely change your life. And it's an important thing to try to do what you can for it and to understand as much as you can about it. So uh, IBS is a GI disorder, gastrointestinal disorder. It, it, the name itself encompasses a group of symptoms that affect your large intestine that has no known cause. There's nothing you can identify or ever put your finger on that says, this very thing caused me to have IBS. This doesn't happen. It's very common. It occurs most often in women, but not always. Uh, I've got a little IBS, a fair amount, and I'm not a woman. And so it doesn't always happen in women. And I, I don't know that I've ever seen that a huge predominance of people that have it are women. 
but a family history of IBS makes you more likely to have IBS. Uh, and so that's something to keep in mind if you do start to have some of the symptoms we're going to talk about. So the, the symptoms of IBS are varied. Uh, the more common symptoms are what you might think of abdominal pain. Of course, anything that bothers your stomach might give abdominal pain and cramping. And it can be fairly severe cramping. And it's usually the kind of pain and cramping that comes and goes. You'll have it. You won't. You'll have it. You won't. It'll be back. It's not there for a while. It's back for a while. And there's no pattern to it in most cases. A lot of people do get relief from pain and cramping after they have a bowel movement. And some don't. Some people, uh, after having a bowel movement, get a feeling like they need to have a second bowel movement or they're not done uh, right after they finish the first one. There's usually no results from that, no production of any kind from that. And that's a feeling that in medicine we call tenesmus. And it simply means feeling like you need to go, but you don't. Uh, that makes a lot of people think that they're constipated because they feel like they need to go and they can't. And they're not constipated. They just have this cramping and feeling in the, in the gut. Bloating is almost universal. Some people have more gas, but gas production is not that common. But bloating is very, very common. And then people have either constipation or diarrhea, and I'll talk about those in a minute. Uh, but this feeling like you need to go again is very common, and it really disturbs an awful lot of people because it's hard to go out and do things if you feel like you've got to go to the bathroom. And what happens a lot of times is you don't need to go, and you don't need to go, and the one time you trust that, you did need to go, and you have a problem. Another thing that happens a lot of times is people will have a fair amount of mucus in their stool, and that caused IBS to get the nickname mucus colitis a long time ago. Not many people refer to it that way anymore, but you do see it sometimes. And you certainly do see people that will say, hey, I've got all this mucus in my colon. And one of the first thoughts might be that that mucus comes from inflammation in the colon. But uh, irritable bowel syndrome is not an inflammatory condition. Uh, it's not like Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis, which are inflammatory conditions. It's just a, a functional problem with the bowels. And it varies in every person that has it, probably. You might have a few of these symptoms. You might have every single one. You might have several others that I didn't mention. You may even have normal bowel movement some days. Uh, most people, the majority of people, do have fairly mild symptoms. But an awful lot of people, too many people uh, that I see and, and treat have symptoms that are severe enough to affect their daily life. And it might affect it because they're uncomfortable. It might affect them because their, their, their social schedule changes because of it. A lot of things like that can happen. So it, it's, it can be a big deal. And like I said, it's not deadly. It's not fatal. But it is very disturbing in an awful lot of cases. So if you think about what causes irritable bowel syndrome, you're going to think for an awful long time because there is not an exact cause of irritable bowel syndrome. Um, it really comes under the category of stuff happens because it just happens. Um, if you talk to one specialist, he might say that you rarely see it in, to start up in older people. And other, well, another one might say, oh, I see it all the time to start up in older people. I personally have not seen an age range that it, didn't suddenly become a problem in. Um, so I, I think it's, it's something that if you start having trouble, you need to report it. You need to tell somebody. It's like I've preached 
many times in these podcasts and all day long in the exam room, don't ever say the five most dangerous words in the English language, which are maybe it will go away. Somebody the other day in the exam room, when I said, don't say those five words, they said, what's that? I've done my own research. <laughs> I think I think those are as bad probably, but uh, don't say maybe it will go away. If you find that you're having new symptoms of some kind, especially like this, tell somebody. If you're a man and you're married, tell your wife. It's all you got to do. Your wife's going to see to it. You have an appointment since she can get it with someone. If you're a woman, you have to do it yourself because your husband's going to be on the golf course. He's not going to want to do anything about it. That's just the way world the world is, I think. So if you look at things that might cause IBS, some studies have been done, and they, they think that there could be a breakdown in how your brain sends signals to your intestine. Uh, if, you, if you think about it, everything about your body is controlled by your brain pretty much, and there are some voluntary signals it sends when you move your arm, and there's some involuntary signals it sends to the inside of your body, the trunk and then abdomen. And the, your organ systems telling them to beat for your heart and breathe for your lungs and move things through there for your colon. <clears throat> and if those signals are interrupted or if they send too many signals, then you can have a problem. Sometimes people have a problem uh, moving food through their GI tract. You might be diabetic, have a thing called gastroparesis, which means simply that what I just said, you don't move things through as quickly as you should. And that can cause this kind of problem. Sometimes you have an abnormality in the sensitivity of the nerves in your GI tract, and they might, again, create signals or send signals back to your brain that makes a problem happen in your colon. And some people even have bacterial infections that can start this kind of problem. Sometimes um, certain foods will cause a problem. And to me, really, if you have a problem with foods, I don't know that I call that irritable bowel syndrome. It can give you the same symptoms, but if it's a food that you eat and you have these symptoms, I don't really think you have irritable bowel syndrome. I think you have an intolerance of marinara sauce or whatever it might be. And that kind of thing commonly is a problem. Sometimes depression and anxiety will make people have the symptoms of IBS. But in a situation like that, too, I really don't think that's strictly IBS. I think that's the kind of thing where you treat the anxiety and depression and the intestinal symptoms most likely will resolve. So those are some of the things that can get you started with IBS. And once you, know, you present with the symptoms, then you need a diagnosis. Well, the diagnosis of IBS is a diagnosis of exclusion, which means there's not a specific test for IBS. You can't do a blood test and say, oh, your IBS test is positive. I'd give anything to have that, but you don't. So you have to look at the colon. You have to look at other things that affect the colon. You might have blood tests, certainly stool tests, looking for anything from infections to blood to white blood cells and that kind of thing. Most people, depending on the age, uh, will end up having a colonoscopy to be sure they don't have the inflammatory conditions that I mentioned, Crohn's and ulcerative colitis because you want to know if you have that, because they're very good treatments now for those kinds of things where they didn't used to be. Uh, and if you do have that, you want to know it because it's a much more involved process and treatment is very important. And sometimes people might do x-rays of the GI tract, whether it's a CAT scan or back in the old days, we would do a barium enema. I don't remember the last time I ordered one of those. And I hope I never do again for my patient's sake. It's an uncomfortable test to do. 
doesn't give you that much information. A CAT scan of the abdomen gives you a lot of information. So you might have those kinds of things. And the doctor that you see will certainly perform an exam on your abdomen. Uh, I have a rule, and a lot of doctors do, that you touch the part that hurts. So you come in with belly pain, you get a belly exam. You check for bloating. You see if there's pain on, on palpation. Uh, is, do you have tenderness? Do you have guarding, which is an involuntary reaction where you stiffen up the abdomen if it hurts? Uh, do you have any unusual sounds of the GI tract? And as things move through your GI tract, everybody's heard their, their stomach rumble. And do you have some abnormal sound, sounds like that? And if you do, those are important. And then taking a good history, the doctor might ask you if your pain gets better or worse when you go to the bathroom. You might want to know how often you go. Is there blood there? Is there anything else abnormal there? What do the bowel movements look like? Uh, people with IBS often will have loose fragmented stools instead of formed stools. And uh, the, you might be diagnosed with IBS if you've had these symptoms on a regular basis for as long as three months. And the entirety of the episode has lasted as long as six months. So if you have a little bit here and a little bit there, and over a period, you end up with that over for three months worth of symptoms over a six month period, then you probably have IBS if these other tests are negative. So if you do have IBS, there are three main types of IBS. And this is fairly new in the literature. They used to just say you had IBS. And this is what it was. But there's IBS-C, which is irritable bowel syndrome with constipation. There's IBS-D, as you might imagine, with IBS with diarrhea. And there's IBS-M, which a lot of people have, which is mixed IBS, where you go back and forth from constipation to diarrhea. And you're, if you look at the spectrum of stool, you're, you, you're never in the same place. You're just always moving around. And that can be fairly aggravating. And it certainly aggravates your colon. And it can make you incredibly uncomfortable physically. So IBS-C is people who have hard or lumpy stools at least a quarter of the time, 25%. And then they'll have loose or watery stools very infrequently. So more often than not, you're having a constipation-like stool. And, and talking about constipation, constipation is not defined by how often you go to the bathroom. Some people have a bowel movement every day, some people twice a day, and it's completely normal for them. And some people go every seven days, and that's normal for them. And as long as you're not straining to go, and as long as you're not having little hard lumpy stools, then you're not constipated. But if you go every day, but you're having hard lumpy stools, then you are constipated. So you might have IBS-C if that's the case. IBS-D, which I find to be far and away the more common version of IBS. <clears throat> is a condition where you have the opposite, basically. You have hard, lumpy stools infrequently, less than a quarter of the time, and loose and watery stools, loose and fragmented, I usually call it, at least a quarter of the time. And most people who have this have that just about every time. And then the mixed is what you'd think. It's a mixed bag of both of those. You go from one to the other, back and forth, and never the same. So... Those are the types of IBS, and the treatment for IBS really depends on which type you have. If you have IBS with diarrhea, then you end up taking medications that slow down the, the gut, slow down the time it takes food and, and stool to move through the gut so more water can be absorbed from the stool, and therefore it's not as loose and watery by the time you expel it. And if you have 
constipation, then you want to do something that kind of speeds up the time so that things can get through there more quickly and not reabsorb as much water. So the stool is softer and so forth and easier to pass. But the thing you can't do is you can't avoid it. If you're going to get it, you're going to get it. And if you do get it, you have to do whatever you can do to manage it. And that's not necessarily easy. There's some things you can do on your own that might um, make it better, that might eliminate it to a degree. If you eat small meals throughout the day, that helps some people. If you increase your fiber, that can help some people. And if you do that, you want to increase it a little bit at a time. You don't want to just go from a small amount of fiber to a huge amount of fiber in one lump, because if you do, you're going to have constipation for sure. Um, <laughs> another thing that that is talked about is in treating IBS is to reduce your stress level. Well, I've always kind of felt like that's a silly thing to tell people because if people could reduce the stress level, they almost certainly already would have, and they wouldn't need to come to the doctor be told to do that. But that's one thing that can help. So if, if you are in a situation, I'm going to pose a hypothetical here. If you've been in a situation where you're having IBS with diarrhea and your gut's all torn up and you're in a job that you just absolutely can't stand and you're just putting up with it, put, get a different job. See if that helps. Reduce that part of your stress because that's something you can change. Get enough sleep. Get enough sleep. I refer you back to the podcast on sleep in which I said that sleep's a very important commodity and people need to get all they can get. And if you're not getting enough sleep, that absolutely can have an impact. So work on that. Talk to your doctor about that. Do things that help you have better sleep, better quality sleep, and more of it. Exercise can make a big difference. If you're, if you're not getting enough exercise, there are a zillion reasons why you should. Uh, I need to get more exercise. Uh, I've actually agreed with my wife who's listening that I'm going to start exercise. We're going to start walking. We're going to start with that. And with where we live, that's quite some exercise. So we're going to start doing that. And I'm hoping that we're going to get healthier based on that. But exercise helps. Exercise helps most things, but it certainly helps your GI tract. There's a, a lot of information out there that, that shows that's the case. Meditation or therapy. I don't have a lot of experience with people doing meditation, but I can tell you right now that stress is your problem. Therapy can help in a lot of ways. And then there are numerous medications that people take for IBS. There are a double, there's a double handful of medicines that I use for IBS that are very old medications that have been generic for a long time uh, that are in most cases meant for something else, but we use them for IBS because they actually do help more as a side effect of the medicine than the direct effect it was intended for. But I don't care about that. I care about people getting better. So we use a lot of that and they can work very well. But I think it's important to try not to get frustrated because if you get frustrated, your IBS is going to get worse. And I can almost promise you the first thing you're going to try is not going to help. It's not going to cure, not, not going to control it completely. Notice I almost said cure it and you can't cure it because you have to control it. So, you know, a lot of times it can, it can help like that, but there are also several new medications because this is such a common problem. Pharmaceutical companies see a opportunity to make some money. So they'll do a lot of research and they'll come up with new medications. There have been three or four in the last three or four years that have come out. And although they are expensive, they can make a tremendous difference for IBS. 
So see your doctor and have a conversation with them about what can be done because there are a ton of options. And at the end of the day, if you have IBS, you have to live with IBS. It's an ongoing problem. It might get better and worse from time to time based on lifestyle and a lot of other things, but it doesn't require surgery and it won't shorten your life. It won't give you some horrible outcome. You end up in a wheelchair or something from IBS. It's just not like that. But it's not to be played down because it is a big deal. And it's important if you have a problem like this that you do what you can about it. Don't just because we're talking about stools, don't feel like you don't want to go talk to your doctor about it because it's embarrassing. Trust me, he's heard worse probably that same day. So go have that conversation with him or her, whoever that is that you go to. Talk to your doctor, learn how to manage it. Symptoms often get better with treatment. But they will not get better if you don't try to treat them. So you have to pursue that. I think it's very important. And uh, Arlie, that's what I've got on IBS today. So um, I want to thank everybody for all the notes and the shout outs on Facebook and cards that I've been sent and people that have mentioned here in the office about how much they were thinking about me and praying about me when I had COVID. I'm going to share something uh, else about our family, my wife and I. Um, A week ago, yesterday, um, Peggy woke up at three in the morning, went to the bathroom, and as she went back to the bed, she was essentially clomping around the bedroom trying to get around the bed. And I said, what are you doing? And she said, I'm trying to get back to the bed. And I said, what? And she repeated exactly that, exactly that way. And now I'm uh, immediately awake and alert and uh, went over and saw that she couldn't even get back up on the bed. And I helped her up on the bed. And I said, Peggy, I think you're having a stroke. And she absolutely was having stroke symptoms. There's no question. She had a facial droop, slurred speech, a tongue that deviated to the left and a weak left leg. I gave her an aspirin to chew and quickly got her to, as quickly as we could from Blue Ridge, got her to Northside Forsyth and coming. And by the time we got to the hospital, her speech was better. Her leg was a little better. Uh, She had every test in the world, CTs, MRIs, heart scans, everything, and everything was normal. But she had a TIA, and a TIA, I need to do a podcast on TIAs. A TIA is a transient ischemic attack. It is a stroke where the um, the symptoms and the uh, difficulties that you have last less than 24 hours. So it's not a completed stroke where the symptoms are permanent. It's a, some people call it a mini stroke. I'm not crazy about that term, but it is an event that lasts less than 24 hours where you have neurologic deficit. And fortunately, in a very short period of time, she was 100%. She spent one night in the hospital and she came home. She came home on a blood thinner, but she came home and she's great. And she's listening now and, and, you know, taking care of me and the house and our dogs. I should do a podcast on our dogs too. And, and she's fine, but she might not have been. And she scared the life out of me. And I've talked a lot about COVID and what it can do to your kidneys and to your lungs and to your heart and all these things. 
But everybody knows and everybody that studies it knows that COVID can cause blood clots. Peggy doesn't have any of the risk factors for, for a TIA. She's not overweight, not hypertensive, has normal cholesterol. She's relatively active. She doesn't have a family history for blood clots and strokes. And I believe that she had this because she developed a clot from having had COVID-19. And a patient today was talking about this and they said, isn't this just really the flu? And man, it so is not the flu. So you're sick of hearing about it and I'm sick of talking about it. And you might be done hearing about it, but I'm not done talking about it because it's a big deal. So I'd go back to the vaccine. It might not keep you from getting it, but it'll keep you from having a bad outcome from it. And please, please get a vaccine. Get a vaccine. So that's all I've got for today. I don't know what the timing is. I might've run over and I apologize if I did, but if you have uh, suggestions for podcast topics, if you have anything you'd like to tell me about the podcast, please send a an email to toyourhealthmd at gmail.com. That's probably the best way to do that. And so for now, this is Jim Morrow, and that's To Your Health. <laughs>